Hello and welcome. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's going to take courage and wisdom to be like Ebed Malik. What can we learn from this man? Have you ever met a eunuch? If you do a quick dictionary search, you'll discover that a eunuch has literally had his manliness removed. And yet when the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah was being imprisoned in a muddy cistern, it was a eunuch who had the manly courage to approach the king. How? Because he'd taken the time to build a trust relationship with the king. I think there might be something in that. Let's find out more as we join Dr. Corbett now for The Manliness of Ebed Melech. We are in Jeremiah chapter 38 and we're going to be having a look from verse 7. Jeremiah the prophet who wept 20 years prior to this. Jeremiah was first imprisoned. He was imprisoned as a young man, possibly a teen. We read about that in Jeremiah chapter 20 from about verse 3 on. And we read then that when Jeremiah as a young boy, really a young man, was first imprisoned, he prays one of the most discouraging, despondent prayers that has been ever recorded in the Bible with the exception of Job. He prays, cursed be the day I was born. <laughs> Woe under me the fact that I even lived. And his prayer just goes down from there. Here we are 20 years later. Jeremiah is the seasoned, hardened prophet. Hardened, not in a bad sense, but hardened in the sense that he's now able to withstand the onslaught that's come against him. And this is a pretty despicable thing that's come against him. This is one of the most humiliating things one human being could do to another human being. This is Jeremiah, the prophet who wept, the prophet who felt his message. And this section is the manliness of Ebed Melech. And you might think, okay, but I hope to show you that there is a bit of a pun in this statement. And I'm hoping that you'll. You'll see why in a moment. We're reading from verse 7, Jeremiah chapter 38. When Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Hmm. You know, I read that because Jeremiah just previously. Went, went through, was about to go through the Benjamin Gate to go and inspect his property that he bought. And apparently the Benjamin Gate was the most enticing gate to leave through to flee to the Babylonians. And here's the king sitting in the gate. I wonder what he's thinking. We've run out of bread in this city. There's the Babylonians out there. They're feasting. Hmm. Just, I find this just curious. Ebed Melech went from the king's house. This is what he said to the king. My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern. And he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. This man, an Ethiopian, had been captured and castrated now, I'm trying to think of a polite way to describe what castration means. I, I, I just, I know there's a street way of saying it, 
but I don't know if there's a particularly polite way of saying it. He had, he had a part of his genitalia cut off. That's about as polite as I can put it. He then had his name taken from him, and from this point on, he's called Servant of the King, Ebed Melech. It was against the law to, to make a, a Hebrew a, a servant like this. They were not allowed. In fact, you read through the first five books and you'll come to these curious texts where it says if a woman so much as touches a man's... It's in the Bible, so it's okay for me to say this. I'm feeling awkward saying it. But if a woman so much as touches a man's genitals in, in a battle, she shall die. So... What they did to this Ethiopian was extremely humiliating. And it was men who are castrated who then lose all sexual desire and the capacity for sexual activity. That they were put in charge of the royal harem to protect the king's wives and concubines. That's why... King Zedekiah would not have said, and what's your name? Because this man would have been in the most intimate contexts with the king, guarding the bedroom from the inside while the king was taking his pleasure. You got the idea. These men have done evil in all they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern. And he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Now, here's what I want you to see. There is this point where the king says, do you know I could have you killed? And yep, I reckon Ebed Melech knew that. And, and there, are, there are two outstanding men in the Bible that were castrated and attained greatness in the eyes of God. This guy's one of them. The other one, as we'll see in this series, after we've dealt with Ezekiel shortly, was the prophet Daniel, who served in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. But here's Ebed Melech. He was arguably less of a man because of what had happened to him. But look at his courage. Even though Ebed Melech was less of a man than most men, he was more of a man than most men because of his incredible courage. There were sympathizers for Jeremiah, but they didn't dare approach the king. Why not? Why not? Yet we read through the prophet Isaiah and we and Ezekiel, as I've just gone through Ezekiel mapping that out for for the next mini series in the Jeremiah series and God says this I looked for a man God says this I looked for a man some man to stand up on my behalf and I could find none hmm. here's one a man less of a man yet more of a man than most then the king commanded Ebed Melech the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed Melech 
took the men with him and went to the house of the king to a wardrobe in the storehouse. We're going to make a point about this in a moment. And took from there old rags and worn out clothes, which he let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put the rags and the clothes between your armpits and the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. And who's the hero in this story? Ebed Malach, which means I serve the king. Who's the hero in this story? <clears throat> I love hero movies. I watched one on Friday with the, all the youth boys that came over. We watched a hero movie. Did, I hadn't seen it, didn't know anything about it. If I had, because I, you don't get this from the trailer, there's probably too much language in it for my liking and probably a little bit too much gratuitous stuff in it that didn't need to be there. But it starred Jason Stratham. Okay, one, two men look at me like, yeah. Everyone's looking at me like, Jason, who? <laughs> Jason Stratham. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and the storyline was really good because here he is. He's a former Interpol agent, former, um, former uh, SAS in the British Army. And then he, be he joins the American FBI. And then they put him out to drug enforcement agency as an undercover narcotics officer and and I'm going to spoil the movie because I actually don't want you to see it because of the language is horrible. And uh, he, he, he is, his life and family are threatened. He moves to a quiet town in Louisiana, just up the road from Monroe, Louisiana, which is where the Robertson family lives, if that means anything to you. And he, his wife dies. A cancer takes the life of his wife. And now it's just him and his little girl. And he's, he's a martial arts expert who understands how to take people out with a biro. So you got the idea, Jason Stratham. And he's taught his little girl to defend herself. So there's a scene where the bully, the school bully, is picking on the new kid at school, his little girl, who's slimmer and shorter and cuter than him. And he's been a bully to her and, and he takes her hat and he, she says, give it back. No, give it back. No, I've asked twice. My dad says I should always ask twice. And you think, your dad always says you should ask twice. And then he says, what are you going to do about it? She goes, this. And the next scene is him in the first aid room with his nose somewhere around near his left ear, blood pouring from what used to be his nose. <laughs> And Jason Stratham comes in because the school has called him in because there's been an incident. And anyway, you got the idea how it sits. Anyway, Jason Stratham is the hero. And I love hero movies. So I've told you exactly what that movie's about. You don't need to see it now. I love hero movies. And here we have the hero being a man. And is a man someone who can thump and punnel and kill 
and use a gun and do all kinds of things. And is, is it, because if that's your picture of a man and you're a young man here, you are going to be very, very confused. Is your picture of what a man is someone who knows how to seduce women and, and, and treat women as notches? I'm, I'm trying to be polite here again. I, I'm in a whole area where there's so many impoliteness things that need to be addressed. If that's your concept of a man, as it is with many young men who are a part of a football club culture, you're going to have a very confused concept of what a real man is. And here's this guy, he's got no family, he's got no career prospects, he's got no desire, sexual desire, he's been castrated. He hasn't, for Pete's sake, the guy hasn't even got a name. So I'm a servant of the king. And yet he's the hero in this story. And, and why is he a hero? Why is he a hero? Because he's a real man. And what is a real man? It's not on the screen, but here's my thoughts. A real man is someone who accurately resembles the image of God. And that looks like this, being godly. By the way, when you write the word godly, it's a lowercase g. It's an adjective, not an attribute of God. It's an attribute of us as we live for God. Godly. A real man is considerate. A real man is courageous. A real man is resolute. Not easily put off. I see so many men who are sooks. A real man's resolute. And, and if you want to know what it takes to be resolute, get married. We'll just close in prayer now. <laughs> Let that one linger. Teachable. A real man's teachable. Humble, teachable. A real man is diligent. Doesn't quit in the heat of the day. Doesn't quit just because it's sore. Just because, just because they hurt. Just because they're aching. Just because they're tired. Just because they want to break. They're diligent. And there are, there are many young men who are going to discover just what a man their dad is one day when they have to take up responsibility of manhood and they realize going to work and working with people who are a right royal motivation for prayer... <laughs> It's very difficult. <laughs> a real man is protective. A real man knows how to provide. We saw another movie, not a bad movie, this one, based on a true story. Starred uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond. That's another source of confusion for what a real man is. But in this one, it, it's called Defiance, and it's the true story of the Bilski brothers who save. 1200 Jews in Belarus and every Jewish life he saved the Jewish rabbis are coming to him saying you know the Torah says for every person's life you saved you are bound to provide and protect them for the rest of their life and he says I know they said how will you do it he says I don't know but I will and he does hmm. amazing true story too a real man provides a real man is someone who's faithful. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything unless you've withstood temptation to be other. That's a real man. You might think, well, Andrew, that's an interesting list. Where'd you get that from? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
and John. That's where I got that summary list from. These are the traits of Jesus. Who it says in 1 Corinthians 15 was the last Adam. And what does the word Adam mean? Man. The last man to have ever walked the earth was Jesus Christ. Do you understand the sense in which the Bible is using that term and I'm now using that term? I'm not saying men here today aren't men. I'm saying there is, there is one ultimate example of manhood and it's Jesus Christ. And someone might say, but he never got married. Pfft. You haven't read Revelation 19? You haven't read the book of Ephesians? Man, he's going to take a bride. Absolutely. So, we need to look at men in a completely different light. Not the way Hollywood presents them, not the way the football club presents them, but in a different light. And being a man means you've got to pay a price. Here's Ebed Melech, paying a price. So there's two men in this story that really feature to me, if we leave out Zedekiah just for the moment. One was paying a price for doing what was right. That's what a man will do. That is Jeremiah. If you've seen the movie The Butler, this sounds like a movie review this morning, but if you've seen the movie The Butler, you'll see eventually, the, and again, true story, of the butler to, the, to uh, some uh, five or six presidents of the United States eventually was challenged to do the right thing and eventually he did it and he knew he would pay a price. So one of these men was paying a price for doing what was right. One of these men was prepared to pay a price for doing what was right. And that was Ebed Melech. What was the price he could have paid? He could have been beheaded instantly. He took his life into his own hands. That took courage. This morning we've heard of the stories of people serving Christ in Jos, Nigeria. And there'll, there'll be people who, on tomorrow morning, you'll go into the office and someone will ask you, what did you do on the weekend? And you'll go, I went to... Oh, I can't say church. They'll give me a hard time. I watched TV. Don't be a wuss! Hold your head up high, stare them down, look them in the eye, and say in an ambassadorial winsomeness, oh yeah, no worries, I went to church. Had a great time. Got my manliness boost. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Ebed Melech was a precursor. That is, came before a little bit of a glimpse of how God was going to redeem, gen redeem Gentiles. You see, he was a, an Ethiopian and he features as the hero in this story. This is profound. It shows God's plan is not just for the Jews. In fact, we're seeing as Karen has reminded us, that continually all through this book, God's heartbreak over his own people and their rebellion. And yet here is an Ethiopian who fears the Lord and acts as the hero in this story. There's something else incidental in this story. You may miss it. I did point it as we we're reading it in the text. And that is this. The very first thing he did, get this. Yes, you can go and rescue Jeremiah. He's over that way. Okay, I'll go. And he goes this way. He goes to the king's wardrobe. <laughs> That's why I know Zedekiah was not 
who are you? If this guy knew where the king's wardrobe was and knew what he could take and what he couldn't take, these guys knew each other. He goes to the king's wardrobe and he gets worn out clothes. Now, here's the point. One commentator made, and I thought it was a profound point. He said, what good are worn out clothes? Usually not much. But look how, he said, God takes the things that are treated as now worthless, now useless, now no longer of any value. And have you ever felt like that? And he uses those things in his plan of redemption. Oh, thank God. Uh, You know, I I read that and I, I said, God, there are times that I feel like a worthless rag. And I take great heart from this. If I just serve you by going underneath someone's armpits, it's been a good day. (laughs) Oh, not literally, just metaphorically. So like Ebed Malik, you may feel powerless to do anything about the evil in our society. What can we learn from this man? I think there's a lot we can learn from this man. Whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, you can learn something from this man you may feel powerless to do anything you may feel i don't have that kind of courage well here's what i think is an appropriate response you read a passage like that you just put your finger in there close your bible up look to heaven and go god i'm not like that man but i want to be i need something from you to be able to do what he did and this is what i need i need courage is that your prayer which and here's the question would you like god to give you the courage to stand up to do the right thing you know uh, we face a, a huge job in our society now to persuade our society that people matter and and never in my lifetime did i think we would have to be so vigilant in arguing the case that young children matter the unborn matter, the elderly and the frail matter. I just could not, I just did not foresee this day coming, but we're in it. And and the moment you say those things matter and the moment you say sex is not a recreation and the moment you say sex is designed by God, meant to be within the covenant of marriage, which is why, you know, we we take seriously the whole idea of, of marriage. And we mentioned last time that John the Baptist was beheaded because he challenged a wrong definition of marriage. And here we have these things coming against us. And it's going to take courage for you to be a winsome ambassador. Can I tell you, it probably won't take much courage. It'll take just foolish brazenness to be an abrasive, abrupt, hate-filled, uncaring, spiteful Christian who just throws petrol on the fire. That's easy, but it's going to take courage and wisdom to be like Ebed Malik. What can we learn from this man? Well, he had taken the time to build up his relationship with the king. The king did know Ebed Malik. Ebed Malik was responsible for bringing that night's bridal concubine to the king and kind of guarding the room and tending. And so, trust me, they knew each other. And he took the time to win the king's trust. The fact that he could approach the king, and yes, the king could have had him beheaded, but he could approach the king, and the king knew, this is a man I can trust. There's a lesson in that for us. You know, sometimes we 
we are very quick to write to our politician and, uh, politicians and threaten them. We're not going to vote for you ever again. You're a scoundrel. You're a tool of the devil. You're a whatever, whatever. Before you write that letter, maybe after they get elected, write them a thank you, congratulations card. Introduce yourself. Just congratulations. It's great to have you representing us. You might think, now here's my list of objections I have against how you voted in the past. Can, you might think that, but can you just, just leave it there? Just think it. Don't write it at that point. Be winsome. Build up the relationship. As pastor of this church, you will have noticed that I try to invite some of our political leaders to most of the public events that we have. The last public event we had, we had uh, one or two government ministers at, we had the mayor of our city, we had a former senator of Tasmania, and we had a local councilman at our last function. You know what I'd really love is there, there are people that you're going to connect with that I don't connect with. You invite them to our functions, and they come because you invited them. Be winsome. Build the relationship. And here's the thing. Ebed Melek didn't much going for him. Powerless, robbed of a name, robbed of his manhood. Yet he was granted the most intimate, the most intimate space with the king. And you too might feel powerless. You too might feel worthless. And here's the amazing offer that God offers you. You can come into an intimate space with him. And you can come to know God as good, as loving, as wise, as caring. And you can be known by him, by name. Hmm. And you might think, oh, well, God knows everything. He knows everyone by name. Read Matthew 7, where we have the king saying, who are you? I do not even know you. Depart from me into everlasting darkness. So no, there are some that he particularly knows by name and here's his offer today. And here's my question. Is that the space you want to be in? What do we learn from Ebed Melech? I hope we learn this. We don't have that kind of courage. Do you want it? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to stand when we need to stand to speak when we need to speak to take the time to do what we need to do because it's right and right now if you're hurting right now there is a god in heaven who loves you sweetly he loves you dearly and he knows you by name and he's calling you my child come back to me come back to me do you want to do it one prayer oh god please forgive me a wretch a sinner i need your forgiveness Please, I need to know your grace, your grace of forgiveness and eternal life. You pray that prayer, you can know the forgiveness of God and a brand new life. It takes courage to stand up and do the right thing. You may well feel powerless to do anything about the evil in our society, but we can take a leaf out of Ebed Melik's book about being courageous, developing a relationship with God from whom that courage comes. More from Dr. Corbett next week in Jeremiah with You Can Save Your Life If You Surrender. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Manliness of Ebed Melek, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. 
For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.